0: Welcome back to another week on The Catholic Toolbox, The Art of Practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh, here as we equip you with practical solutions to the Catholic faith in our modern world of today. And especially in our modern world, one of the greatest struggles is human sexuality, where we specifically need to take extra care. And I've brought in today a very special guest, someone who's inspired me personally when I was a young teenager hearing his talk. It's none other than Jason Everett. Welcome aboard to the Catholic Toolbox, Jason.
1: Well, thank you for having me on. Uh,
0: this, I remember very specifically when I was in grade 11, uh, I, I was uh, struggling with chastity. I was, uh, I'd just come back to the Catholic faith about two years ago. I was studying my way back into the Catholic faith, and, and you specifically with your talk, and uh, it was then, Crystalina uh, when, before you got married, okay. uh, that it specifically inspired me and, and changed my outlook. I remember that specific talk there uh, that, that really changed my outlook on chastity. And, and, and uh, I really thank you for the work. I start off by thanking you for the work that you do for you and your wife. It's so important, especially in our modern day today. We're fighting a real battle for, for human sexuality, for chastity. Um, so, so thank you very much for all the work that you do to inspire many people, uh, and help many people, but let's go into the very, what is chastity for those who don't know what it is and, and what is the situation of our modern world today?
1: Yeah, well, it's a good question to start with because the word itself is often misunderstood. They think it's synonymous with abstinence, uh, which just means no sex. Um, they think it means celibacy, um, which means the state of not being married Um, and neither one of those really describes what chastity is. Chastity is a virtue that applies to our sexuality. And what it does is it frees you to love and it frees you to know if you're authentically being loved. And so it doesn't eliminate our sexual attractions, it kind of orders them according to the demands of authentic human love. And so it frees you to love because if you can't say no your sexual impulses and saying yes to them really doesn't mean anything. Um, And then it frees you to know if you're being loved because if a person won't date you, if you won't give them those sexual things, then more often than not, it's not you they're pursuing, it's just the pleasure that they can get at your expense. And so it's a virtue again, kind of like courage or honesty, but that applies to our sexuality uh, that encompasses purity of mind, of heart, of imagination, of speech, of the way we dress, the way we dance, the way we treat each other. And therefore it's a virtue we have to practice our whole life. Uh, that we're called to practice as husbands and wives, as priests, as religious, as single people. It's something that doesn't end when you get married. If anything, it's a virtue that frees you to love rightly, even within marriage. And so in terms of the state of the union, I mean, it's, it's pretty bad. I mean, there's, there's, there's lots of bad news out there. If you want to look at like the pornography statistics, and one of the most common porn websites out here releases their annual statistics, and they showed in the previous year that people had watched 4.5 billion hours of pornography in one year on their website alone. I mean, it's 500,000 years of human life that probably could have been spent in a more constructive manner. And so we've got the internet porn problem, we've got epidemics of sexually transmitted diseases, but, you know, in the midst of all the mess, believe it or not the rates of sexual activity among teenagers has been going down for about 30 years straight and so I mean, the majority of high school students are virgins so there's good news there's bad news but overall you know historically people think oh well chastity that's so old-fashioned it's like really like like promiscuity is a new invention <laughs> like that came out last year i mean this has been a battle since the dawn of man
0: i mean it's very interesting that you say uh, s- sexual rate, uh, sexual activity rates have actually decreased Mm-hmm. Uh, over the past 30 years, it, it really made me wonder, because you have been saying that for several years, are people realizing that we are worth something and that we're not, we, we can't treat ourselves in, in a very cheap and uh, cheap manner where we just uh, engage in, in sexual activity lightly, are, are teenagers and young adults realizing that?
1: Yeah, they, they asked the teens, why are you choosing abstinence? Are you afraid of getting pregnant, afraid you're gonna get AIDS? Um, and those reasons, that fear of pregnancy disease was actually at the bottom of their list for why they are choosing abstinence. The number one reply is that it's against my religious and moral values. And so to me, that makes sense because the pendulum swung so far into this hookup culture and they binged in that, and now they're just kind of purging it. It's just like, okay, and, and people are going to an opposite extreme of like declaring themselves to be asexual or demisexual. Um, wow. meaning mean, no sex at all. Uh, demisexual meaning you're only sexually interested in people to whom you have an emotional connection with. And it's like, no, that, that's not a new sexual identity. That's <laughs> mental health. Okay, that, that's healthy. Um, but it's a totally understandable reaction if you've tried the hookup culture, which is inherently dissatisfying, And then you found, okay, that doesn't work. And so thanks be to God, more people are choosing to start over. And in fact, most high school kids who have had sex privately admit they wish they waited longer. It was kind of a disappointment. So thankfully, more people are choosing to start over as well.
0: It's great to see that the experiment of our culture is, is phasing itself out. People are realizing the emptiness in being sexually active, in engaging in pornography, uh, every single thing that disorders our sexual our human sexuality. It, it's great to see uh, and, and that really refreshes me um, and, and provides, you know, some optimism in what you're saying that people are actually waking up and, and saying, you know, we've tried this, uh, our uh, people, uh, my friends have tried this, you know, the hookup culture, everything else, and it's left me empty. Is there something yeah. more? So it's, it's very, very refreshing to hear such words there. But let's now go into the church's teaching. What does the church teach with regard to sexuality? And, and what are the disorders of sexuality that, that are present today? Uh, and, and ha- um, yeah.
1: yeah, well, I mean, the church's teachings is simple. It's just that you know, love, marriage, sex, and babies go together and in that order. And when we as a society start flipping things around, like we'll put sex over here and babies over there and marriage over here, civilization itself begins to crumble because the church teaches that the act of sexual intimacy is the wedding vows made flesh that you're speaking these vows i give myself to you totally freely faithfully in a way that's open and welcoming to children it's kind of like what you say in the wedding vows and the promises then you go off your honeymoon you speak that in your body and so when a husband and a wife make love they're speaking the truth in their body i give myself completely to you i'm all yours Whereas if they're not married, it simply isn't true. It's actually a lie spoken in the language of the body. So your body is saying, I am completely yours, when in reality, you could be completely somebody else's six months from now. And so uh, all the church is inviting us to do is practice sexual honesty. And so if you look at that kind of those four pillars, the sexual act should be free, total, faithful, and fruitful. When you invert those, you end up with our culture. Like, is sex today free? No, it's demanded in rape, it's paid for in prostitution, it's driven by compulsions of addictions to lust, it's often not free. Is it total? No, it's hookups and one night stands. Is it faithful? Uh, No, I mean, it's adultery and cheating and mental polygamy. Is it fruitful? No, it's deliberately sterilized, contracepted, and aborted. And so it's almost as if we took the very purpose and meaning of human sexuality, flipped it upside down, and now we wonder why nobody's
0: satisfied. I mean, I love the way you put it there, That's it's free, total, faithful and fruitful. Now, what led to the sexual revolution? That's something I think many people don't really touch on. What led, what was the underlying problem of the sexual revolution? And how did our culture get flipped upside down after the first two world wars? And what's the underlying issue? I mean, I yeah, like well, the underlying things <laughs> to really understand yeah, yeah. the cause of the problem. So... What are your thoughts, Jason?
1: Well, well, part of it was a legitimate pushback from a puritanical attitude toward human sexuality, that if we treat sex like it's, oh, it's bad and dirty and evil and wicked, I mean, we're going to rebel against that because it's not bad. It's good. It's a gift. It's beautiful. It's not evil. It's potentially holy. It's a foretaste of heavenly bliss. And so if you've got this overly rigid puritanical attitude towards it, we're going to want to rebel against that. And so historically, that's what happened. But in terms of what was the real fuel of it, I mean, we could look at things like pornography that definitely played a role in the work of Alfred Kinsey. But even deeper than that, I would say contraception. Because what happened with contraception, um, and this is according I was reading a medical journal, it was looking at the sexual hookup cultures among college campuses. And they were kind of looking at, okay, why is all this promiscuity going on? And they said from a perspective of evolutionary biology, they pinned it on contraception. Because they said when when mammals mate, typically whichever sex has the longer reproductive rate, meaning who takes a longer investment in reproducing offspring, which is typically the female, They tend to be more choosy when selecting a sexual partner because they stand to lose more from a poor reproductive choice. And so if a man and a woman sleep together, it could take the man five minutes of his life and it could take the woman a lifetime of hers. Because we're talking about fertilization, gestation, lactation, childbirth, child rearing. And she is pretty much needs to be present there on the day of the delivery, whereas the guy can kind of bail out. And so, as a result of that, that's the natural way it is, women tended to be more selective when choosing a sexual partner. But what contraception did is give women the reproductive rate of men. And all of a sudden, women began to be a lot less choosy with a spouse, or not just a spouse, but choosy when it comes to a sexual partner, rather. Because it's one thing to say, I'll sleep with you. It's another thing to say, I'm going to have a child with you. And so, what ended up happening is women became less choosy because fertility was kind of checked off the list. And all of a sudden, it was like, oh, wow, well, there's really nothing inhibiting us from making these poor reproductive choices. And then once you had that, then abortion went through the roof because you had more people than ever engaging in the act that creates life without expecting life to come forth from it. And if we're treating pregnancy like it's a disease, then abortion ends up being the cure. And so to me, that's a bit of the, what was behind the sexual revolution. So Pope
0: Paul VI was very prophetic in humane Vitae very, very much. So, so you see that contraception was probably a very serious pivotal point for the sexual revolution, for the promiscuity, for the increase in sexual activity rates, uh, infidelity and everything else. Let's say they hit us in about the 60s and 70s and that flipped the culture upside down. I mean, it's it's an interesting perspective. Were we too, Jason, were we too puritanical, let's say before, before the first two world wars or the second world war, were we too puritanical as a church and as a culture and did it build up too much momentum? And then that contributed to the resistance. I'm, I'm just interested in that because to look yeah, at the I, underlying cause.
1: I, I remember uh, Christopher West gives a great analogy where he talks about um, it's almost like the human sexuality is this beautiful painting and you know, the, uh, the devil kind of twisted it, distorted it, broke it, you know, kind of crumpled up this painting, kind of threw it in the gutter. And then the Purit- Puritans walked by it and they're like, oh, look at that. That's gross. It's all crumpled up. It's in the gutter. Don't touch that thing. It's evil. It's wicked. And then Hugh Hefner and the Playboy people come along and they grab it and they're like, oh, no, this is not dirty. This is fantastic. And they put it in a frame, but all crumpled up and say, look how wonderful it is. It's like, well, who got it right? Well, both of them got it right in the wrong way, that the Puritans realized there is something broken there, and Hugh Hefner and the pornographers recognized there's something good there, but they ended up glorifying the broken version of it, and so Puritanism has always been there, but, um, you know, a lot of times I think we over, we kind of idealize how great things were in the 1940s and 30s, but It really wasn't that great. I mean, they were struggling with chastity in their own way. It was just a lot more hidden. In fact, I remember speaking to a priest and he said, you know, growing up, there were orphanages all over the place. Like every city had orphanages here and orphanages there. It's like, why? Like were parents just dying left and right? No, the parents weren't dying. These were illegitimate children. These were the children conceived to you know, a 16-year-old girl who then goes to live over Aunt Ho- so-and-so's house in Wisconsin for nine months. And then she just kind of comes back and without a baby and no one knew she was pregnant because it's too much shame on the family. Yeah. And these ill illimit- 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 children were being raised by the orphans, orphanages. And so it wasn't that we had this, this pandemic of dead parents that we had to have all these orphanages. No, they're filled with illegitimate children because it was societally unacceptable for your kid to get pregnant. It would be just this scarlet letter upon the family. And so we look back and think, oh, those, they, they had it all together. No, I mean, read the Old Testament. I mean, it's a dumpster fire. It's a mess. It's always been a mess. The human heart is what it is. And so we've always struggled with this battlefield between love, love and lust.
0: And uh, it, it, it's very, very interesting looking at the state of affairs today in the modern world and and how a Catholic and specific anybody else can look at the culture and say, do I have hope of defeating the culture of death in my own personal life? Do I have hope in living a chaste life? It seems impossible. What words of encouragement would you give to people who want to set out on the journey?
1: Well, one to realize if you've got to pull two magnets apart, the very beginning is the hardest i mean it's like wow is it always going to be this hard you might want to give up but it's like well wait a minute once you get them further apart it's like okay this is manageable you know and if i can avoid you know getting that close that's where it's going to be really difficult and so the initial stages of this purgative journey of breaking free from this stuff yeah it's going to be pretty challenging but you're going to find freedom in it and you get in the habit of making good decisions surrounding yourself with better friends only dating someone who shares your values that you can see yourself marrying. I mean one guy came to me, this athlete, and he said, you know, wasn't it hard for you? He said, you saved your virginity for you when you got married at 27. He said, wasn't that really difficult? And I said, it was as difficult as I made it. It was as easy as I made it. Like, yeah, there were times where it was really difficult, but it was my fault. Like I was causing 90% of my own temptations by what I was looking at and who I was hanging out with. But then I found better friends, dated girls with higher standards and kept myself accountable. And yeah, it was a lot easier. And so don't, don't think it's always going to be this difficult. You know, there's going to be freedom. There's going to be peace. And look, it's worth the fight. I mean, because what's the alternative? To just surrender to lust and be a slave to your hormones? Like, do, does any guy watching this want to be some like 30-year-old dad who's got to slap your laptop shut when your five-year-old daughter comes in your room because she can't see the porn dad is seeing? Like, is that really an option? Is, is, is surrender a, a, a choice that's on the table for us? I don't think it is we've got to, if there's anything worth fighting for it's love
0: I mean that that's just beautifully put I think and uh, and, and yeah like a similar to my story you know I recently married now um, I've been married for six months and it's it's really and from my experience I mean being in good environment for most of for pretty much yeah my teenagehood and um, and when I was a young adult I think it really takes away the temptation I mean being in a good, Environment, putting yourself uh, not creating the issues for yourself uh, with, uh, with lust and, and being in a bad environment, really takes away the, uh, the half the problem, really. And yeah and, and now let's go into three practical tools. Let's take it. People want to take action with chastity. People listening here get it. They're probably a lot of them have listened to you. many of your talks, the way you've inspired so many people to look at chastity and to take action. But then how do we translate that? How do we take action today? If somebody is hurt, somebody has had a bad past, somebody isn't too perfect, or somebody is already on the path to chastity, living a life of chastity, being in a good environment, but they want to get better and better at it. There's still the temptation. There's still the influence of the world. We live in a harsh culture today, especially in the Western modern world. We need to fight back. It. It's a constant spiritual battle. It's an internal battle. What three practical tools can you provide us with, Jason, that can aid us to take action? Whether it's pornography, whether it's uh, uh, sexual sin, whether it's uh, infidelity, whether it's lust of the eyes, whether it's living a chaste life in every facet of your day-to-day life. How can we take action whether we're male or female?
1: Yep. I would say one, there's one saint who said that think of your five senses as the five entry points of a majestic castle. And so we've got to guard the castle. Do we have doors there? Do we have locks there? Do we have a guard there at the door? Or are your senses like a barn door that's wide open and anything is coming in through your eyes, through your ears, the conversations, the music? the things you're looking at on your phone, like we have to guard our senses because that's where our imagination forms a lot of these temptations is what we've let in through our senses. And so take a look at your senses. Even taste, like, do I have mastery over my own appetites? Like, can I can I fast? Am I capable of saying no to seconds? Like, do I have self-mastery in that regard? Uh, the, the sense of touch, you know, am I putting myself in extremely tempting situations with my girlfriend at 11 o'clock at night at her couch when her parents aren't home? It's like, well no wonder it's difficult. I mean, you're sitting there right on the edge wondering why, you know, it's, it's so difficult to stay from falling back. So, Look at the five senses that God has given to you, the, the sight, the taste, the touch, and so on, and guard those senses. Only let in what is going to be beneficial to your soul. And so you've got to feed your soul good stuff. So instead of looking at the bad stuff, look at the good stuff. Go to Eucharistic Adoration. Read some good books on the theology of the body. Listen to good resources. We've got a podcast called Lust is Boring. Listen to that stuff. Go to chastity.com, our website. Feed your senses with good stuff. So it's like there's two dogs fighting in you, and whichever one you feed the what. The most is going to be the strongest and it's going to win. So starve the lust, feed the love. Second thing I would say, you could do all the strategies in the world until you, but realize like you're totally going to fail at this. If you think that it's all up to you, chastity and purity of heart is a gift from Jesus Christ. And I'll give it to you if you actually want it. And so if you really want it, go get it, go to the sacrament of reconciliation, at least once a month, and don't just go to confession, but have a great confession. Don't be like, father, forgive me. I did this. It's like, well, what's that over there? Oh, we don't need to talk about that. It's just too embarrassing. Uh-uh. There's a priest who got kicked, uh, Padre Pio kicked a man out of confession once for trying to hide some sins from him. Padre Pio said to him, you live near water, but you don't wash. And so don't just live near water. Go to confession and have a great confession and be made new. So, a sacramental life, the blessed sacrament, the rosary, daily mass, if you can, uh, the scriptural readings, liturgy, the hours, like... Purity is the fruit of prayer. And so if your prayer life is weak, well, your life of virtue will be weak too. And so first thing, guard the senses. Second thing, purity is a gift from God. Go receive it in prayer. And then thirdly, surround yourself with the people you want to be like. I mean, you're going to become like your friends. You think like St. Ignatius of Loyola, who is his college roommate? St. Francis Xavier. Well, now that kind of helps. And so, don't uh, likewise dating. Only date someone if you can see yourself marrying them, because that's the whole point of dating. It's like getting on a freeway that has two exits. Break up marriage. That's it. That's the reality. There's no point of committing to anybody unless you can see the relationship actually going the distance. And so, those three things: guard your senses, ask for purity to get from God with perseverance and patience. Don't get all discouraged if you fall. Just keep coming back to God. And then lastly surround yourself with the people that you want to become like, because if you got bad friends, you're going to look at their faults and your virtues. But if you have good friends, you see their virtues and your faults and you make a lot more progress in the interior life.
0: I mean, those are just absolutely tremendous. So much content just in those three practical tools. I mean, it really, it really matters who you hang out with. I mean, if, if you spend time with people who have a higher standard, or I always say, I like to hang out with people that are better than me because if they're better than me, they're gonna bring me and drag me up. I'm gonna see my faults and be inspired to elevate myself, especially in, in your life of chastity. I mean, if you hang out with people that wanna go out, wanna party, put themselves in a bad environment, you're basically making yourself vulnerable. And, and it's very important there what you said. The, the sacraments and sacramental life has, has really helped me. And uh, go back to your first practical tool get content and, and look at content, chastity content. I, I remember when, when I, re- I first watched your talk uh, many, many years ago, when I was in grade 11, 2011, I, with you and your then fiance, Kristalina, Christa, uh, that really inspired me. From then onwards, I got a copy of If You Really Love Me and, and I got, I, I just soaked it in I soaked it in like a sponge and I got more and more content to really understand the depth of chastity, depth of theology. And then you look at John Paul II's uh, Theology of the Body, Christopher West. If you get a lot of content and really study, it opens up your eyes. It really does. The content alone is enough to inspire uh, people.
1: And and that really did it for me. Yeah, I mean, we've got to approach this from a really human perspective that it's not just a spiritual thing. We just got to pray more rosaries. Rosary is super important. Pray every day. Um, but we're not disembodied spirits. Like we're not angels. We have bodies too. So we have an intellect, the will, we've got bodies. You got to get a good sleep at night. You got to exercise. You got to, you know, eat well, like take care of the whole body, The, the friendship aspect, the accountability, the emotional life, get counseling. If you need to get counseling, if we're approaching this from a fully human perspective, physiological, psychological, spiritual, intellectual, theological, it's going to be a lot easier to live it out instead of not dealing with any of that stuff and then just trying to pray it away. Just remember you're human. And if you fall, like I said before, don't get overly discouraged. Just get up. Do not lose your peace after a fall. Yeah, it's a little bit humiliating or whatever, but just get up. God can work with humility. He can do great things to it.
0: Okay, that's the thing that's often missed. If you want to overcome, let's say, uh, an addiction to pornography, you want to overcome that attachment to... Premarital sex and living a life of promiscuity, uh, visual lust, emotional lust, any kind of issues with chastity, you do have to engage not just the spiritual, of course, we need the grace of God and to see that you know it 's the grace of God that can allow us, but then the grace would then move us to take action let 's say possibly the psychologist we need human measures as well, human tools such as a psychologist such as maybe some therapy. Um, and, and other human factors. I think, how often do you see that many Catholics may, may see, okay, well, it's just about my prayer life. I'm not praying hard enough. And they miss the human tools that they need to take action with. Maybe okay. issues in a different respect on a human level.
1: Yeah, it, it happens all the time. And oftentimes they don't realize it until they get married. And then five years into marriage, all this stuff kind of erupts and they realized they just kind of swept it under the rug. They never really faced it and owned it and healed it and worked through that stuff. And emotionally, you know, their maturity level is like 12 years old still, but they're 28 and the, the, their selfishness or their what self-absorption or just the wounds of what they've been through of abuse and this that have never been dealt with. And so when that stuff surfaces deep into marriage, I mean, it's tough, but then it's still, it's never too late to go back. To go back to get healing, to get counseling, there's no shame in being want and wanting to be made whole again. And that's where you can find a good counselor. You might have to shop around a little bit, but find a good one, dedicate yourself to the healing process so you can be the gift that you're supposed to be.
0: And it's 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 just very important to look at those human elements as well, human strategies, apart from just prayer, which obviously gives you the grace there, but how can we? bring the message of chastity to the model world let's say in the workplace specifically and it can be very hard because I remember I did go on a tour you know in a Europe tour and I was 18 at the time and it's interesting because it came up on the table when we we're having drinks in the pub <laughs> about chastity and I was like I I, I, I was explaining to these people <laughs> uh, about the fact that I don't believe in premarital sex I, I I believe in chastity and and, and I actually got a great response. You know, people actually respected me for being an 18-year-old holding to that belief and, mm-hmm. and, and the amount of people who were, who were surprised. You know, and I think people, people look at it differently. People have a great respect for Chester. I think it's given a bad rap that, you know, people react badly, but how can we present it to a secular culture? Because this is something that doesn't just affect us as Catholics it affects everybody and uh, we can preach this if this can even this uh, chastity has an ecumenical dimension yeah, yeah where we can preach the gospel about ch- about chastity but and then draw them to the faith overall but yeah how can we present it to the modern world who well, i think the most important thing
1: is, yeah i think the most important thing is just to live it know we're trying to like it's not about formulating arguments so much as it is just embracing this virtue and living it as a lifestyle because if you do that I think there's going to be a magnetic joy that comes with embracing God's plan for your sexuality and your vocation. People are just going to see it. They're going to gravitate toward that. Um, And then when it comes to discussing it, uh, remember John Paul II said that chastity can only be thought of in association with the virtue of love. If we don't make that connection, people are going to miss the point. And and so when you think, well, why are you not having sex before marriage? I mean, you're 15. Come on, everybody's doing it. You're 18. You say, look, I want to get married one day and I want to look a woman in the eyes and tell her, I am going to love you and honor you all the days of my life. Today is a day of the li- my life. I want to love her and honor her before I even meet her. I want to be faithful to her all the days of my life. I mean, how do you argue against that? H- how do you be like, oh, that's stupid. It's like, wow, that's, that's beautiful. You know, her. Yeah.
0: you really can't argue against having self-respect and love, you know, it's just just something where no matter how much people are confused with our modern culture, they they see right through it. They really understand the human nature is awoken when you preach that. But I wanna talk now about your project that you and your wife run. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you can talk a little bit about then how you can specifically help people. But start off by telling us, uh, what is your apostolate that you run and uh, what, is it, uh, what do you do with your apostolate? How can people get in contact with you and access your materials? Because I know it's been very beneficial for me. It's been life-changing for me and I'd like to share it with other people.
1: Yeah, we run a website called chastity.com. We have another one called chastity.org that has non-religious arguments for chastity. But the chastity.com one is faith-based and that one's more robust. Uh, But we've got dozens and dozens of different resources, books, uh, curricula, CDs, all kinds of stuff to live this out. Whether you're a guy, a girl, a parent, engaged, married, we've got all kinds of different resources there in the shop site. We also do events around the world where we come and speak at high schools, universities, colleges, marriage prep programs. we also have the podcast, Lust is Boring. Uh, we also have there on the website, literally hundreds of questions of blogs, of videos that any topic you wanna to know about transgenderism. How do I find love? How do I heal after a breakup? How do I heal from sexual abuse? You know, how do I, when should I start dating? All those questions, super easy to find the answers to at chastity.com. And then you can even, if you want to share our resources, we sell everything for like, like three or $4 or less. So you can just give them out in bulk. Um, but then also we launch a new website called missionariesofchastity.com where you can get stuff for free and we'll ship it anywhere in the world, even Australia, and they can you can pass it out to people that you know need to hear this message. And so it's chastity.com or missionariesofchastity.com.
0: It's a, what I love is that you provided a secular dimension for the real world where people can access ch- chastity.org, right?
1: Chastity.com is the non-religious one. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: A chastity.com where people can just, it has no religious element there. It's just chastity for, for and that, that's what I love. It provides an ecumenical dimension to touch many people and draw them. And then possibly through this experience of chastity, it can then possibly draw them to the Catholic faith as part of evangelization and that's, that's, what's great. Our culture needs, needs this. They need content. They need to be converted. And I love the work that you're doing. I thank you and your wife very much for the tremendous work that you're doing. You've touched a lot of people, including myself. Um, and, and we really appreciate the work that you're doing. Uh, just for final, what are your final thoughts and final message for people, uh, who probably now inspired on fire to go check out your website, get your content, and, and take action with their Catholic faith, with, with their chastity.
1: Yeah, well, what, yeah, just to clarify, chastity.com is the Catholic one, chastity.org is the faith-based one. Um, but to live this out, I mean, I'd recommend just subscribe to the podcast that we do, Lust is Boring. Keep feeding yourself this content, and in the end, trust God with your body, okay? Trust him with your heart, trust him with your body. And watch what happens because we don't trust the heart of the father. We think he's stingy. We think he's out against us, you know, that he, that he, you know, wants to rob us of joy and fulfillment in life. And as a result, we rob ourselves of the joy he wants to give us. So trust God with your body. He's never outdone in generosity.
0: It's absolutely amazing and tremendous work that you do. And, and I, I really think the things like saying uh, lust is boring I think we're changing the culture, we're changing the new normal, and we're, we're returning back to a culture of self-respect by, by pushing through the, uh, the apostolate and pushing through uh, a, a new culture of chastity, and I'm very optimistic about it. I'm very optimistic, and thank you very much for your work and for being with me here today on The Catholic Toolbox.
1: You're welcome. Keep up the great work.
0: So if you want to check out our podcast, you can go to The Catholic Toolbox, wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to go to our website at thecatholictoolboxshow.com and don't forget to check out chastity.org and chastity.com to check out Jason Everett and Kristaline Everett's work there. If you haven't got a copy of my book, The Art of Practical Catholicism, you can get so through perusia.com parousia, uh, or you can get it anywhere online or in Catholic bookstores. So thank you for tuning into The Catholic Toolbox, The Art of Practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manassa. Until next week, God bless, take care, and take action. In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith, to reach our ultimate goal which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox, as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith, and change our modern world today live on The Voice of Charity.